0: Who's ready for the book of Ruth? All right. Me too. It's really an amazing story. Ruth is an amazing story. It's a a short story. It's only four chapters long, total of 85 verses, so it's a short story. But it's a true story as well. It happened in history. These are real people we're going to talk about in real places. It's not an allegory for the Christian life or anything like that. It actually happened. It actually happened a thousand years before Christ was born during the time of the judges. It is a true story, but it's also a good story. It's a really good story. It's got drama, it's got suspense, it's got intrigue, it's got romance, it's got all the good elements of a story. But even more than that, it's a God story, it's in the Bible. And it's going to teach us something about God. It's going to teach us something about what it means to walk with him and what it means to follow him. It's going to teach us about his kindness and his providence. And I think it will be particularly helpful for those of you who uh, maybe are walking through a dark time right now, because it shows us that even though your life is in the midst of the shadows, God's still working in the shadows. And as we look at the book of Ruth, we're going to see his purposes cannot fail. He's going to do what he's going to do, and even if you walk through hard times, it does not stop God, even when your life is in the shadows. Though the book of Ruth is 85 verses, we're going to add one verse to it. We're not going to make it up. We're actually going to go back one book to the book of Judges, because the book of Ruth takes place during the time of Judges, and we're going to read the last verse from the book of Judges, because it sets the tone for the whole book of Ruth. We're not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to read, break it up into bits and pieces in order that we can kind of enter into the story. All right? So here's the word of God starting in Judges chapter 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. Ruth 1.1. During the time of the Judges, during the time when everyone was doing right in their own eyes, when there was no king in Israel, there was a famine in the land a man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, and they were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons, Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malon and Chilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. Have you ever wanted a new life? Have you ever been in a place where you would just have taken a random trade with someone else because your life was in such a bad place that you would have just said, I'll try something else? Have you ever wanted out of the current situation that you're in and the only way out was, I need a brand new life? I remember a time when I was 19 years old and I'd come home from college and I was hanging out with my friends and it kind of hit me. I need a new life because I had been making decisions that I had been making in high school, except when I went to college, I didn't stop making poor decisions, and ended up on this path that was the consequence of my poor decisions. And when I came home from college, I ended up hanging out with some friends that I shouldn't have been hanging out with, and we were doing stuff that we shouldn't have been doing, and I remember sitting there and going, this is going nowhere. I need a new life. I need a new life. And that realization and those consequences were because of poor choices in my own life like i had chosen a path and now i had to you know follow the path that i was on and so i wanted a new life and sometimes people make poor choices over and over and over again and it gets them in this place where they go i got to get out of this i need a new life but sometimes it, they want a new life not because of poor choices but because tragedy strikes have you ever been there where you've got difficulty after trial, after challenge, and it just keeps smacking you in the face. And after that happens, a certain amount of time, you say, I'm done. I'm ready for a new life. This wasn't my fault. This wasn't what I signed up for. I'm ready for that new life. Naomi is in a place where she wants a new life. Where we pick up in the story, where we left off in the story, she's standing basically over the third grave of a third family member who has passed away. Ten years prior, her husband had passed away. And then one of her sons had passed away. And then her third son had passed away. And she ends up in this place where, wow, what happened? How did I get here? How did she get to the place where she's standing over the three graves of the three men who she loves most? You can imagine her standing there going, I need a new life. I want a new life. How did I get here? How did she get there? How did she get to that place where she wants a new life? Well, it says that Naomi lived during the time of the judges. So after Moses had rescued his people from the land of Egypt and he brought them through the desert and he brought them to the edge of the promised land and then Joshua had taken them into the promised land and the promised land had become theirs. Well, the people then forgot about God. They forgot about God and they started worshiping other gods. And God began bringing reminders into their life and into their country to say, listen, don't forget, I'm your God. I'm the God who rescued you out of Israel. I'm the God who brought you through the desert. I'm the God who brought you into this promised land. And the way that he would remind them would be that he'd raise up an army to oppose them, to get their attention. He'd raise up something difficult in order to go, for them to go, why are we being attacked? Oh, yeah, we've been worshiping other gods. We've got to return to God. And the whole book of Judges is this cycle where the people walk away from God, they forget about him, and they worship another idol or another god, God raises up something like an opposing army, like a famine, to get their attention. And then they return to God. But that happens over and over and over. And the reason the people were so repetitive in their rebellion was they had no king. They had no one to rule over them and point them to God. And Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, lived during this time. And there was a famine in their land. And we're supposed to know, listen, the famine's not just probably a famine that's random. It probably has to do with the fact that the people had forgotten about God. They were worshiping another another idol. And instead of Naomi and her husband Elimelech repenting and turning back to God, they say, we're going to leave the land of God. We're going to relocate. We're going to go somewhere else where things are a little bit better. But this wasn't like a relocation after Hurricane Irma. It wasn't like things are bad in South Florida, let's move to Georgia where there's work. It wasn't a relocation, it was more like a defection. Because they didn't just go anywhere, they went to Moab. You're not supposed to go to Moab. Moab had been, had, was a country that had been started by one man named Moab. And Moab was the illegitimate son of Lot with his daughter. Moab had grown his clan, and that clan had eventually come to oppress God's people. They'd become enemies with God's people. they tried to get them to not enter the promised land. And so when Naomi and Elimelech leave the promised land because of a famine, they're not only ignoring the need to repent, but they're also defecting to Moab. They're leaving behind God's promised land. They're leaving behind God's people. They're leaving behind God. They're saying, we're going to do it our own way. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. And rather than repent, they relocate, but the relocation is more like a defection. And if we're honest, we can kind of understand why. You ever had that thing, that voice that tells you when life gets hard and God's not kind of giving you what you want? You go, life looks promising over there. In Moab, if I could just sort of ignore everything that God's told me and go, I could make life happen better over there in Moab. I want a new life, so I'm going to make it happen on my own. That's called being autonomous from God. It's saying my way on my terms. And when I was sitting in that car, when I returned home from college, and my life was very chaotic. I learned an important lesson about trying to make life happen on my own. And it's this. Paths away from God always lead to chaos. And when Naomi and Elimelech leave the promised land and they leave God's people and they leave the God of promise and they head to Moab, everything's about to unravel for them. And they're about to enter a life of chaos. Chaos. They wanted new lives, but they wanted those new lives without the God of life. And that path looks so promising, but it takes us away from the God of promise. And there Naomi is with her family and her husband dies. And then her sons marry Moabite women. Wait, you're not supposed to even be in Moab Moab. Nonetheless, marry Moabite women. You're supposed to marry someone who's part of God's people. But there, the chaos keeps unraveling. And after her sons marry Moabite women, the sons die. And there's Naomi, far, far from home, in a foreign land, not part of God's people, not God, part of God's promises, not in relationship with God. Chaos. 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 If she had been in the land, there would have at least been rules and laws that would have protected widows. But here she is in Moab, and life is unraveling, and there she is, standing over three graves. And and Naomi's situation is a little bit of a mix of poor decision-making and just tragedy. Poor decision-making and tragedy. But that path away from God always leads to chaos, and Naomi Goes, I need a new life. But then she hears this. In her hometown of Bethlehem, there's now food. There's food. I'm going to go back to Bethlehem where God's providing. And I'm going to get food there. And so Naomi decides to return to the promised land and to return to God's people and to return to God himself. And she sets out on this journey with her two daughter-in-laws. In verse 6, it says this, Naomi and her daughter-in-laws set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's needs by providing them food. Of course he had. That's what he does. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. And she kissed them, and they wept loudly. Ruth and Orpah said to her, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. And even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share. Because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go, and wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates me and you. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. Naomi sets to return on this journey. It's not an easy journey. It's a seven to ten day journey to get from Moab back to Bethlehem. Uh, they're going to have to cross the Jordan River. Once they cross the Jordan River, they're going to have to ascend 2,000 feet, 2,000 feet into the hills to get to Bethlehem. And I bet on that seven to 10-day journey, Naomi second-guessed her return. I bet she second-guessed her return. I wonder if she thought, is there any way forward besides journeying back? Is there any way I can move forward with God, I can move forward with my life without going back? That's just a thing, though. The way back to God is the way forward with God. The way back to God is the way forward with God. Eleven times in that section I just read you, they use the word return, go back. And that's a synonym for the word in the Old Testament, repent which means to turn away from your old way of doing things and to turn back to God. And 11 times they use that in that passage because they want us to see that Naomi isn't just going home. She's not just relocating, she's repenting. She's turning away from her self-autonomy, she's turning away from doing things her own way and saying, I'm going to return to God's land, I'm going to return to God's people, and I'm going to return to God. See, when we walk away from God, it produces chaos in our life. And we cannot move on without returning to God. We can't move forward without realigning ourselves with who God is and what he's done. We have to agree that we're in the wrong place. And we need to get to where God wants us to be. Naomi had been doing what was right in her own eyes, and she chooses to return to God and his people. I thought about this for a while, and I was talking with Runette about it, and I, I thought, well, what if being in Moab wasn't really her fault? I mean, what if Elimelech kind of dragged her there? You know, in this day and age, uh, uh, during this time, uh, it was a patriarchal society, so men were kind of in charge, and they could tell women what to do. And it wouldn't be impossible to think that maybe he kind of dragged her there. But then I thought, you know what? Sarah used to boss Abraham around, so maybe she dragged Elimelech there. Or maybe they decided to go together. There's really no way to know. But we know that 10 years after his death, she's still there. She's still in Moab. And sometimes I think we get bogged down. Because we end up in places in life that other people dragged us to. And it doesn't really matter how we got there in one sense. What matters is that we get back. Have you ever gotten so hung up because you've made a series of poor choices in your life and you've wondered, well, what what part of this is my fault and what part of this is their fault? Now, that matters in a sense, but what matters more is wherever you are, returning back to where God wants you, no matter how you got there whose responsibility it is, is not as important as that you get back to where God is because the way back is the way forward. The way back is the way forward. And a return to God is the only path into the future. A return to God is Naomi's only path into the future, and a return to God is your only path into the future. And so Naomi and Orpah and Ruth head back on that path. That seven to ten day journey to return to God's land, to return to God's people, and to return to God himself. But Naomi discourages the return of her daughter's-in-law. She knows that she's a widow. And once she gets back home to Bethlehem, she thinks she'll probably be ashamed because they'll know she's been in Moab. But not only that, there's not much protection for widows in that society. So she is going to have to be impoverished. And if these two young women from Moab come with her, their only connection to the new culture will be a woman who's at the bottom of the totem pole in that society. And so she says, go back to Moab. Go back to Moab. May God be kind to you, but go back to Moab. There'll be more opportunities for you there. And they say, no, mother-in-law, we insist. We're coming with you. We're coming with you to the new land, to the new people, and to be part of what God's doing there. And Naomi says, listen, I don't have any more sons for you to marry. That was the custom in that day. That if your husband died, you would marry his brother. And Naomi says, listen, I have no way to provide you a new husband because I have no more sons. But Naomi really doesn't have any hope either. She doesn't have any hope in what God is going to do for her. She doesn't have any hope in the kindness or character of God. And so she just says, listen, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. My life's much too bitter. Get away from me. God is against me. The irony is that Naomi claims the Lord turned against her when it's actually Naomi who abandoned the Lord. God didn't kick her out to Moab. She left and went there, and her life fell apart. But the the funny thing is that she's really lost perspective on who God is and his character, and his kindness. She's forgotten the one true God. She's forgotten the God who saved her people out of Egypt. She's forgotten the God who was faithful to them as they journeyed through the desert. She's forgotten the God who opened the doors of the promised land to them. She's forgotten the God who takes special precautions for widows and orphans and refugees and the poor. And so she tells her daughter-in-laws, you'll be better off in Moab not remembering who God is Because she's forgotten and she's lost perspective. Have you ever been so stuck in your rebellion against God that you forget who he is? That you forget who he is and you forget his kindness to you in Jesus Christ. You forget that while you were still a sinner, Jesus came to die for the ungodly. That's what our rebellion does. It, it produces chaos in our life. And we forget God's awesome kindness to us. We forget that through Christ we become his beloved children. Our rebellion against God causes us to lose perspective on his kindness. And so that's what happens for Naomi. And so she tells Orpah to go back. And Orpah does. But Ruth does not, she clings. In this dramatic moment, she clings to her mother-in-law. And Naomi says, go back to your gods. Ruth says this, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. Wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. Naomi has no hope in returning to the God of promise. But Ruth, who's never been to the promised land, who's never been to the promised people, who's never interacted with the God of promise, has this faith and loyalty that she's going to move forward with Naomi and commit herself to the very things that Naomi abandoned. She's committing herself to the very things that Naomi abandoned. And what she says here is a deeply spiritual statement. It's the language that God uses to talk about his people. I will be your God, and you will be my people. And Naomi is saying that she wants to be a part of that. She wants to be loyal no longer to the gods from Moab, no longer to the people from Moab, no longer to the land of Moab, but to God's land, and to God's people, and to the one true God. What she's saying becomes a decisive point in her life because Naomi is converting. She's converting. She's doing the very opposite of what her mother Naomi did. She's converting. She has no personal promises from God, nothing that says, when you show up, Ruth, I'm going to take care of you. Nothing like that. She's just heard the stories that Naomi's family has talked about, the one true God. And she commits herself. It's amazing, really. I mean, this is an incredible personal sacrifice on her part. Immigrants do not leave their country for a worse life. They leave their country to get a better life. But here, Ruth, and her newfound loyalty to the one true God and in her self-sacrifice to her mother-in-law says, I am going to go to a place where I know my life will be much worse because of you, Naomi. Because of you. Ruth is a true friend to her mother-in-law. And that's actually what her name means. Ruth means companion or friend. And she's living that out. She's living out the meaning of her name. By being loyal to her mother in law and now loyal to the God of her mother in law. And that loyalty and that self sacrifice will become her reputation when she gets to the promised land. That self sacrifice and that loyalty will become a reputation, and God is actually going to use that reputation to open up doors for a new life for her and her mother in law. Naomi is not alone, she's got a friend. Naomi has Ruth, the Moabite, coming back with her to the promised land. And even as she comes back, we see that God is already providing for her. Already being kind for Naomi by providing someone to come back to the promised land with her. God's fingerprints are already graciously on Naomi's story, even though Naomi has abandoned God. She comes into the village of Bethlehem treating it like a walk of shame. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. And when they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Remember, it's been at least ten years. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has opposed me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. When Naomi and Ruth get back, the town is buzzing. The people have not seen Naomi in 10-plus years. Now she's coming back with a person that she didn't leave with. They're probably wondering, where is your husband? Where are your sons? Who is this Moabitess? Who's this foreigner that you bring back with you? But they're excited to see her. But Naomi's lost so much perspective that she says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Naomi's ma- name meant pleasant or sweet. and She says, my, name's, my name doesn't match with my life. My life's not pleasant or sweet. It's bitter. It's been marked by bitter experiences. So call me Mara because my life has been full of bitter loss. I left full when I left the promised land. When I left God, I left full. And now that I'm coming back, I'm just empty. I've got nothing. God has opposed me. He's left me out to dry. I had so much before and I have nothing now. Naomi is convinced that God has cut her legs out from under. She's convinced she's paying for her rebellion, that God is afflicting her. Have you been there? Have you been there in the midst of tragedy in your life? You're convinced that God is angry at you, that your suffering that you're walking through is somehow this atonement that's paying for your sin? That's what Naomi thinks. And often we get into this mind game where we think the things that we're walking through are punishment for fill in the blank. That thing I did, that person I didn't love, that thing I never told anybody about. Now, sin does bring suffering. We see that when Naomi leaves the land, when she leaves God, her life is open to a world full of chaos. But suffering is way too complicated to say, every hard thing in my life is somehow God punishing me for something that I did or didn't do. That's not how tragedy works. But at the same time, we get how Naomi feels. We get how she feels. But here's the irony of the whole story. Here's the irony of chapter 1. Naomi walks away from God wanting something more, but ends up empty-handed. Naomi walks away from God wanting something more, but ends up empty-handed. And in returning to God, she feels empty-handed. But the Almighty is about to fill her with more than she could ever imagine. It's not that God withheld his fullness from Naomi, it's that... Naomi walked away from the God of fullness. And when she comes back, she thinks she has nothing, not realizing that God is about to fill her with everything. And that's what happens in our rebellion. Though we lose perspective on God, he remains steadfast in his love for us and kind. I didn't see it till this morning. The last verse of this chapter, I I thought it was just a summary. Let's put it back up there. So Naomi came back. She returned from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, you can imagine as Naomi walks back into the town with a Moabitess, with someone from Moab. There's no way to hide where she's been because she has a person from Moab. She's left the promised land. She's gone to Moab. She's allowed her sons to marry a Moabitess. They're now all dead. She comes back, and there she is, Ruth, the very evidence of Naomi's rebellion against God. But in God's kindness, God uses Ruth to provide companionship for Naomi. In God's kindness, she doesn't come back empty-handed. She has a friend who has given up everything for her, who's abandoned her gods and abandoned her land and abandoned her people so that she could serve the one true God and his people and his land. And there we begin to see the kindness of God to Naomi. Not only that, but the author tells us that they came back at the beginning of the barley harvest. When did she leave? When did Naomi and her family leave? During a famine. They left during a famine when there was no food and there was no crops. But when she comes back, there's this glimmer of hope of God's kindness to her. She's about to be filled. There's food available. But not only that, it's the very events of this harvest that are going to completely change Naomi and Ruth's life. Their life is going to be redeemed by all the events that are about to unfold around this barley harvest. They're about to both be given a new life because of God's kindness. Naomi doesn't see it. She thinks she left full and then ended up empty and then came back empty-handed. In reality, she left the God of fullness. And when she comes back, she thinks she's empty-handed But God is about to redeem her life. What do we take away from chapter 1? Well, I know that many of us have been to Moab. We've walked away from the Lord. We've said we're going to do it our own way. I don't need his people. I don't need his promises. I don't need him. Well, simply put this, this way, the way back is the way forward. The way back to God is the way that you walk into the future with him. So return to him. Because he's incredibly kind, like he is to Naomi. But then also, maybe you're like Ruth. You're walking towards God. You don't really know much about God, but you're making a step of faith and you're you're walking towards him. You don't know what's in the future. You don't know much about him. Keep coming. Just like Ruth. Keep coming. Keep walking towards God. Or maybe, though, you've been following God faithfully and you've been walking through something at the same time. You've been walking through trials, hardships, difficulties. You've lost something or you've lost someone, and you begin to think that God is punishing you, even though you're walking faithfully with him, and you begin to say, my life is full of bitter things that God has brought me. It's possible. It's possible that if that's you, you are unable to see the kindness of God towards you. And I want to end by just pointing you to the cross to remind you of God's kindness. See, it wasn't that God dealt bitterly with you, God dealt bitterly with Jesus on your behalf. When Christ was put on the cross, He received the punishment that you deserve. When Christ was put on the cross, the anger of God against your sin was poured out on Him so that it was not poured out. On you. Jesus, the fullness of God, left the fullness of heaven and emptied himself out in order that he might die on the cross as a servant for you. So you may walk through tragedies or suffering or hardship, and if you know Jesus, it's not that God is punishing you. The irony, and we're going to see in the coming weeks of this story, the irony is that he's going to use those hard things on your life. For your good. He's going to use those hard things in your life for your good. As the book of Romans says, all things work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. But know this if you have hard things in your life and you know Jesus, you're not being treated as you deserve. Because Jesus Christ was the one who was dealt bitterly with. God punished him on your behalf. And now God is working all things together for your good. Let me pray. Father God, thank you for this wonderful story. I pray that as we unpack it over the coming weeks, you will take us deeper in what it means to live out a redeemed life, a new life in Jesus Christ. We thank you for these these women, real women, who walk through incredibly difficult things, and we get to learn from their story. We ask that you would change us and make us more like Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?